and welcome to Didian Hawthorne and the In-Between, your place for everything reading and language related. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem podcast. Today's episode covers the short story, The Old Man at the Bridge by Ernest Hemingway, which is a one-page short story. One page that I first read in high school as I was preparing for college prep examinations in literature. While it is short, it is also impactful, it packs a really great punch, and I think stands as a testament to Hemingway's aptitude at the craft of writing, his diligence and commitment to every word on the page. From what I know of Hemingway, I know that he was tireless, persistent, and so makes an interesting exercise, spending a fair amount of time looking at this very short story on this episode. Before we get into the meat of the podcast, looking at the short story itself, of course, I wanted to talk briefly about our renaming, rebranding process and what is that is looking like, what is going on with that, and what you can expect for the next few weeks. So we will be changing the name of the podcast on August 1st, and that will be a surprise to everyone except those on Patreon. If you're not already on Patreon, go check it out. We've got a gang there that we hang out and have another podcast every month, and it's another book usually, and I talk about personal stuff, I talk about what's going on behind the scenes of the podcast. They've been with us and with me every step of the way while we've been rebranding, looking at artwork. I spoiled the name and the new logo of the show a while ago on Patreon, so that's the kind of stuff that we do over there. So main takeaway, rebranding on August 1st. All that means is we will have a new name and a new logo. Of course, a couple of other things will change alongside that. We will have a new intro, a little pre-recorded thing that I do at the head of every episode, for example. It's going to be vastly similar to the one that we currently have since we did just redo the intro anyway. There will be really no fundamental changes other than the name and the logo. All of the links to all of our websites will be the same. We will be found at the same areas on the interwebs. We have the same socials and the same email, all of that. I will still be your host. We will still be doing the same content. There is a huge set of reasons for why we're renaming the show, but the renaming process and the renaming event is not going to change the show's heart and the show's armor. All it is is the show's facade. I hope that answers some questions and I will be reiterating this whole spiel as we move into the next few weeks of eventually rebranding slash renaming the show and doing the new logo. I hope you guys like the new name. I really worked hard on it and the first episode, which I will publish on August 1st, will detail all of the things behind the new name, the process, how long this has been in the works. It's been in the works 
for more than a year, I can say that. So it's a really exciting time for me as I have birthed this show and you know, watched it grow up over these past four years, so I'm super grateful for everyone who has listened, even if it was just once and you didn't like it, and that's it. So I appreciate all of you, I appreciate the love of literature and the community that we've built over the past four years, and it has been a blast. I would not continue doing it if I didn't find value and meaning in it, so I do appreciate all of you for sticking with me. Alright, let's get into this short story. I'm going to talk a lot about it. There's a lot of stuff that I researched about it and I really love Hemingway. I think there's so much utility in looking at his craft as a writer. He's one of the most influential American writers, period, especially when we consider the 20th century. Uh, His books A Farewell to Arms, For Whom the Bell Tolls, The Old Man in the Sea especially, The Sun Also Rises, they're all wonderful. I really enjoyed The Sun Also Rises, I think The Old Man in the Sea is of course a masterpiece as well, those are my favorites. But they're really, they've been canonized in this sphere of American literature and so For me, looking at his short stories is such a treat because I get the prose and the Hemingway attitude almost and this these beautiful encapsulated moments without having to put in the time of a novel. So all that's to say and sorry for the change of audio quality, I had to move rooms. It is so interesting and fascinating to be able to take this kernel of Hemingway's work within the context of this short story. So the first thing I wanted to talk about with regards to the actual short story is that it's hard to tell when, and I think this is in literature as a field, as a subject in general, It's hard to decipher or extrapolate when there are moments of deeper meaning in a story and when there are moments of no meaning in a story. I think Haruki Murakami would say it as sometimes a monkey is just a monkey. (laughs) And so there's a great uh, New Yorker article that I'll link in the show notes uh, about that. But there's really a lot that we could get at or assume or extrapolate from this text uh, and there's no way to know whether or not that deeper meaning or that deeper purpose of this story that we're finding is true and I think that's something that's really beautiful and fantastic about literature is that we don't have the ability to ask Hemingway posthumously, of course, what he's doing in this short story, what kind of work, what kind of things he wants to bring out. And we also don't really have sources from him, as far as I know, for this particular work that say, you know, this is the work that we're doing. We can only look at his life, we can only look at what's there on the page and try to figure it out ourselves. So that's just a starter conversation into the kinds of things that we'll be getting into and something that I think is worth thinking about as you explore this interest in literature. So starting with the form, 
this is such a short short story and I, I know I like can't get over that I've probably spent like a minute talking about it thus far but when I first saw this in my junior English class I thought I, I was given a packet right so I thought this was like a five to seven page to twelve page short story incorrect it is one page and the rest of the pages were blank lines to write an essay about it if I'm remembering correctly and so my question going in, something that I was wondering as I was going through this, I remember in my English classroom so long ago, was what does Hemingway accomplish in the single page? So I read this once through as I first started to look at it, and I was just completely engrossed. That When I was done, I was like, whoa, <laughs> it was like being snapped back to reality. And... I think that Hemingway is doing something very smart, and this was again my first pass at the story, which is that he is omitting a lot. There's a lot of repetition in this one page. Uh, for example, and I'll do a quick plot overview while I explain this. The plot is there's an old man with steel-rimmed spectacles sitting on this road that is near a bridge, it's near a major transport, there's a fork in the road that goes off to essentially safe destinations. This man has been evacuated from his town, from his homeland essentially, and this is during the Spanish Civil War. This particular short story was written in May of 1938 and um, it does have a first person narrative view here and the narrator is a soldier, he's on orders to stand by the bridge and watch for the enemy and so he strikes up a conversation with the old man he learns that the old man was taking care of a couple pairs of doves a cat and a couple of livestock goats i believe and the old man is worried about them and he realizes i can't walk any farther i've walked 12 kilometers thus far and i can't walk any farther today at least not for now and I'm worried about these animals and so there's this very repetitive conversation getting back to what we were talking about just before this where the old man tries to almost transfer his grief and his loss onto this soldier and this soldier they're on parallel and not intersecting paths conversationally with their lives and the soldier, I think, seems to miss the old man and connecting with him truly, and I think the old man seems to miss this soldier completely as well. So what Hemingway omits is, of course, more details about the man's life. We know that he's been evacuated because of artillery fire. We know that he does not know anyone in the north. He doesn't really want to go there. We know that he is alone, just endlessly alone, especially without these animals. We know that he cares about these animals deeply because they're his livelihood in a sense. And I think that not having, it, it's kind of like the shark in Jaws, right? We rarely see the shark in Jaws, and this was like a big point of contention between Steven Spielberg and the editor of the film. And the editor says, look, the less we have this 
really terrible animatronic shark in the film, the scarier the shark gets. And so, and Spielberg disagreed with that until he saw it, and he, now we have Jaws. So, um, all that's to say is what is powerful, I think, about this short story is how much is not in it, uh, especially at first when you read it. And all of those parts that Hemingway omits drive questions, curiosity, at least for me, where I'm thinking, you know, what happens to the old man? I have questions that I'll talk about later in the episode. So there's really, there's so much lush description in, in these few lines that we have of description, but there's so much that you don't know. And I think that's, again, just so powerful. So in terms of going on with the form of this short story, it's bookmarked with little passages of description, but two-thirds or more of this story is dialogue, making it shorter still, because, you know, dialogue is quite short when it's on the page, it's on every line is quite short. So we have these bookends of description. It's fairly, in my opinion, it's, it's lush for Hemingway longer sentences than we sometimes see in Hemingway, and I'll be reading the passages from the beginning and end in a minute. Character is the next thing I looked at in my mini-analysis of this text. I really wanted to harp in on this misalignment between the two characters. The narrator seems to have trouble staying present. He's a young man, seems like. Um, there's a line in here that signals to me that he might be younger than he's letting on. Uh, quote, And listening all the while for the first noises that would signal that ever-mysterious event called contact and the old man still sat there, unquote. And so we have this boy who's, I don't think, ever been in a real war or in a real uh, fight in that sense before and he has he's constantly drawn back within the narrative to his post what he's looking for looking across the bridge tracking civilian movement and he is not really it seems to me at least again this is me extrapolating from the text it seems to me because of the repetition because of the kind of empty questions the simple questions that he asks He's not really present with the old man. They're not connecting. They're kind of stuck in their little wheels, in their little rolls um, in that sense. Both of them, the old man too, is just as guilty as the, uh, uh, guilty in this um, as the soldier. And he, again, is, is devastated and is grieving. He's grieving for the future that he thought he would have with these particular animals. He's grieving for their lives as well. And what's interesting, I think, about the characterization within this is that there's so little movement in terms of these characters. So these characters are sitting and standing, respectively, in the same spot the whole time. <laughs> and there's so little movement not only in their physical location, but also in their actual characterization 
we know a little bit more and a little bit more about the soldier as the story progresses, but the old man stays very consistent. And I think the first line of the story uh, that characterizes the old man is really the most important, most poignant detail about him, which is, quote, an old man with steel-rimmed spectacles and very dusty clothes sat by the side of the road, unquote. And I love that glimpse of individualism within uh, that first line, the steel-rimmed spectacles. If it was just an old man with dusty black clothes, that would be one thing, in my opinion, but these spectacles add that key point of individualism that make you interested in his character. And it's, it's so small, right? It's just a pair of glasses, but again, it adds this personalization to the story that I think is so effective in roping people in and giving the story that spark at the beginning. And again, within this characterization, um, I ended up reading the story once through again and just kind of asking questions, and I'm going to leave these questions to you all as listeners. What kind of men are these? What can one safely assume about these men, right? Can we assume really anything? Can we assume anything about the narrator based on what he's giving us? And we'll talk again a little bit more about this as uh, the story progresses. So setting, setting, especially in short stories, is often like another character. Um, there's an argument that all writers are regionalist writers, and I think that's true to an extent. Um, it shows up in different works more than others, uh, for sure, and different authors more than others. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, an event that Hemingway himself witnessed, and uh, the source that I have linked in the description says that he likely wrote this as a part of his processing, almost, or as a part of his experience. So it's, it's definitely a setting that he as an individual was familiar with and is drawing here almost to me like another character again. Um, so bridges are an extremely important structural component of war. In a lot of wars, people go after the bridges first because you can't get supplies into cities with lots of water or rough terrain, etc. without the bridges. I know in particular uh, the bridges in Germany after World War II were uh, pretty much destroyed and so a lot of the time they had to convert to like horse-drawn buggies and other more antiquated technology for a while uh, because they couldn't get gasoline into the cities, um, also the fires, but yeah, there was uh, quite a few issues that popped up in post-war Germany because of these bridges and these fundamental points of contact with outside the cities, um, they were destroyed. So I think this story being held kind of next to a bridge is the perfect snapshot of war in a sense that, in the sense that we have these two characters, a essentially a refugee and a soldier, and they are at one of the crucial meeting points of war. Um, and you really do get a sense of the bridge as another character in the story. I found in my second read-through the movement of 
peripheral characters to be really interesting. And so there's people at the beginning, again, I'll read the first part in a second, but there's civilians fleeing over the bridge. There's lots of buggies and carts and people uh, stumbling about and people walking through the dust and people of all kinds, right? And at the beginning, again, they're bustling. And then as the short story progresses, we get little interruptions by our narrator that these people are diminishing in number and diminishing in the kinds of movements they're making. For example, the soldiers are staying more still than they had in the beginning of the story. So there's a really fascinating weaning of outside noise and outside characters. And at the end of the short story, there's a kind of bomb that Hemingway plants for you as a reader. And if you're reading it for the first time, it, I mean, I remember stopping in my tracks the first time I read the last paragraph. It's harrowing the way that Hemingway sets it up. And I think that winnowing down the outside and peripheral movement so that it's just these two characters at the end sitting in silence waiting for an invisible enemy and bone tired and repetitive and not on the same page with each other i think that's so much more effective because there's this dimming down of external noise so people are um again evacuating there's a contrast between the bustling around them and the pace of their conversation, which by some respects is quick because it's short. None of the men go on and on about anything. But in other ways, it's very slow because we don't get very much information with a lot of dialogue. So um, I think there's an interesting contrast there too between the bustle of the external and the calm of the internal with this conversation. Looking at some word and prose choice, there, this is he classic Hemingway, right? There's very simple word choice, um, there's mono and bisyllabic words for the most part. This is something that Didion talks about at length in her essay on Hemingway, um, and I think that's, it's, it's noted to be, you know, strong or like masculine writing in some respects. Um, and I could definitely see how there's a, there's a, an intention in the kind of flow that Hemingway is building throughout, especially the prose parts of the short story. There's also the kind of his contrast in the concept of the story which is that there's this semi-casual encounter you know just two men on very different tracks of life within this very serious set of circumstances so i thought the contrast was interesting there too and, and as you can tell by now the contrast within this sort of short story that hemingway gets to build is one of the most interesting things for me as a reader as i was going through uh, also, my question uh, regarding punctuation is, you know, how reliable is the punctuation from this PDF that I found online? I'm not sure. Typically, punctuation is the first to go for formatting reasons. Uh, if, you know, there's a story that's like in the public record, for example. So, 
I don't really know if this is Hemingway's original punctuation. It seems fairly consistent with what I remember of his writing, um, which is that the punctuation is extremely sparse. But again, I don't know. And I think, you know, the punctuation on the page serves the story in that it just kind of rolls. Every sentence rolls into one another. It sits and then it goes to the next. So um, again, you, we can't really know about punctuation unless there's a published edition somewhere that we can look at. All right, let's go to the introduction. Super exciting. Quote, an old man with steel rim spectacles and very dusty clothes sat by the side of the road. There was a pontoon bridge across the river and carts, trucks, and men, women, and children were crossing it. The mule-drawn carts staggered up the steep bank from the bridge with soldiers helping push against the spokes of the wheels. The trucks ground up and away, heading out of it all, and the peasants plodded along in the ankle-deep dust. But the old man sat there without moving. He was too tired to go any farther. It was my business to cross the bridge, explore the bridgehead beyond, and find out to what point the enemy had advanced. I did this and returned over the bridge. There were not so many carts now, and very few people on foot, but the old man was still there." Unquote. I found his use of conjunctions in this intro part to be really interesting. Uh, there's kind of, with the lack of, of punctuation, his conjunctions are kind of stilting to to the rhythm and it's harder to read i'm sure i messed up in that <laughs> in that passage because i'm not as used to hemingway's writing within this short story as uh, you know a scholar of hemingway would be for example um so with the lack of punctuation though using so many phrasal verbs for example it takes a minute to get used to and i'm still adjusting even though I've read this short story like half a dozen times since I started preparing it. Um, phrasal verbs, uh, just you know, ground up for example, it's a verb plus a little part of speech that adds to it and then they're connect connected. So for example, going out versus going in, um, going out to the movies for example, staying in bed, these staying in and going out, those are connected. And they're usually more informal. And so when you don't have a lot of punctuation around using all these prepositions, using all these phrasal verbs, it can get a little bit, again, disjointed with um, the uh, flow of the passage. The movement within this first introductory paragraph is established as important, um, the old man should be moving. There's something kind of wrong about the fact that he's sitting, and I think that's a good point of entry into the short story as well, is this um, big contrast that he's setting up between the movement and what the old man is doing, what the soldier is doing, which he's not moving either. And I think it's also a really effective snapshot right at the outset of this story of what you need to know about it, right? Um, we need to know that there's a narrator and a, uh, an old man and kind of what the old man looks like in some sense. Um, and I will say this is all f fielded through the narrator. And so we have 
everything we know about this short story comes from the narrator and comes from this veil almost that the narrator puts over the actual reality of the short story. So I will say that what's interesting as well is that not all of these descriptions are coming straight from Hemingway. It's not like a third person omniscient, like in part of Bleak House, for instance. And I, I kind of like that. It adds another layer of complexity to the narration and to the descriptions and to the short story in general that I find to be really fascinating. And we're in the head of someone who is probably scared, witless, and he is very distractible and just a really interesting character, especially when we compare him with the old man. So the clothes, all right, this is a huge spoiler. So if you haven't already, go to the show notes at relevanceofliterature.com and read this short story. One page, it'll take you two minutes um, for yourself so that you can be shocked before I spoil this whole thing for you. Quote, there was nothing to do about him, the old man. It was Easter Sunday and the fascists were advancing toward the Ebro. It was a gray, overcast day with a low ceiling so their planes were not up. That, and the fact that cats know how to look after themselves, was all the good luck that old man would ever have." Unquote. Wow. Okay, so it was Easter Sunday and the fascists were advancing towards the Ebro. I'm not sure if it's Ebro or Ebro. Um, wow, I remember reading that line and just being shocked. I was riveted kind of by the power of that one sentence within the story so you know it's this you you kind of have to ask why easter sunday why are why are we looking at the perspective of someone who is fighting on quote unquote the right side from the american perspective um this kind of connection between Easter Sunday and then the contrast of fascism a couple words later is jarring and it was to me um, when I first read this as well. And I think the last sentence as well just does so much work. I'm going to read it again. Um, that and the fact that cats know how to look after themselves was all the good luck that old man would ever have. Wow, what an impactful sentence of this young man essentially dismissing the old man and his life and his luck moving forward within one sentence and using everything we have learned about the old man and essentially the soldier, right? Because the soldier would be the kind of person to judge. <laughs> but everything that we've learned about both characters, the quietude of the setting is summed up in this one sentence. And this one sentence is future focused. So meaning that the old man is, or sorry, the young man, the soldier, is creating a prophecy for the old man moving forward. Um, and it almost sounds omniscient, right? And then you have to remember that we're having a first person narrative perspective. So it's, again, this is one of the most interesting closing paragraphs in a short story. And I think it serves this short story so well. So, uh, we've got a couple of questions that I'm going to leave with. Um, there's a lot more that I could get into with this short story, but I've babbled on long enough. So I'm going to leave you with a couple questions and then I'll talk about like my final thoughts of the short story. 
First, uh, why did the old man leave his hometown if he regrets it? Was he blindly following orders? I think that's one little phrase, blindly following orders. Uh, it's called Mitglieder in German. Um, like someone who like blindly or like smoothly follows along. Um, I think that's a big concern of war, especially in these kinds of civil wars. So, um, you know, what was the utility of him leaving if he has nothing um, moving forward? Of course, what we just talked about, how does the narrator's lens shape how we foretell the old man's fate? Is the soldier giving an accurate representation of the old man's future? Um, is the old man supposed to be taken as a symbol for all peasants, all refugees here, all people who are fleeing because of the war? Um, I'm not sure about that. That's something that I really thought about a lot when I was going through the short story is how much do we attribute to this kind of generalization of the old man? Like aside from the spectacles and kind of like his style of speaking, for example, there's really not much personalization. There's enough to get you curious and get you working on it in your brain, but not enough, I don't think, to say that this old man could be just a one-hit wonder in the sense that like I do think he is a sort of representative for the horrors of war and what happens to civilians during wartime. I would love to hear what you all think about that particular point as well. So a couple summary thoughts. Um, I really think that Hemingway uses our background knowledge and assumptions as readers to his advantage in this short story. You know, the old man, right? He's, he's old, he's a bit more susceptible, helpless kind of thing. Um, he has animals, he's a little, almost like a shepherd in a sense, um, and we look at all these characteristics of the old man, we look at the characteristics of the soldier, of the bridge in the backdrop, of the time period, and we already know as readers, because of our cultural background, in a sense, what those attributes symbolize and say about these characters and the context that they're in. And so I think this was, again, just super intelligently done um, as a short story. Again, it really shows Hemingway's diligence to the craft of writing, and Hemingway, I think, is a particularly provocative writer in that sense, and I think that would be my adjective for this short story, provocative. Um, gets you really thinking, especially if you read it more than once. All right, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for your time and for your attention. We will be back next week, our last episode of Didion Hawthorne in the In-Between, which is insane to me. Um, it has been a blast. Again, the only thing that's changing is the name. So really, it's not the last episode. It's just the last episode of this chapter of the show. And again, I'm super grateful for all of you for tuning in for all of these years and we will be back in two weeks celebrating our fourth anniversary of the show so tune in next week tune in two weeks from now and we will see you both times then
If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.